Before we begin, a warning. This episode includes some graphic descriptions of violence and may not be suitable for everyone. In the well-heeled, leafy town of Wilmslow, in the northwest of England, the death of an elderly couple shocked the neighbourhood. Even to this day, when you speak to people in Wilmslow, they all remember it. They'll, it's something they'll never forget. Despite the gruesome violence involved, police concluded it was a case of murder-suicide. In a frenzied attack, the husband, they thought, had brutally murdered his wife before violently killing himself. Three years later, on the other side of Wilmslow, for a different family, the same horror unfolded all over again. It was an elderly couple lying on their bed in their pyjamas. Again, the sheets were blood-soaked. Were these really murder-suicides, or could there be a serial killer on the loose? It's a scary thought, isn't it? It's a kind of your worst nightmare. Reading that report is like reading about the bogeyman come to life. The Sunday Times Insight Investigations team have been re-examining the evidence in a series of cases stretching back over two decades. And the conclusions are alarming. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Till Death Do Us Part, the curious case of the Cheshire killings. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. My name is David Collins, and I'm the Northern Correspondent for the Sunday Times. I'm an investigative reporter who works with insights on large-scale projects. David was tipped off about this startling story some months ago when he saw a report compiled by one of the coroners in Cheshire detailing the deaths of two elderly couples living in the same town, both deemed to be murder-suicides. When we were approached by sources connected to Cheshire Police, they let us have a look at a report which details, essentially, all the evidence on the case of Howard and Florence Ainsworth, who were an elderly couple living on Gravel Lane. 
in Wilmslow and were found basically in their, in their bedroom, side by side, uh, dead. She was really brutally attacked. She was killed using a hammer and a knife and he died from asphyxiation. He had the bag over his head. The second case, the wards, they lived a couple of miles down the road and it's, it's quite similar. She was killed with a knife and he dies by essentially stabbing himself to death. The report details both those separate cases and the startling similarities between the two of them in terms of the level of violence inflicted, the fact that there's no evidence or suggestion of any marital problems whatsoever in either case. They were both happy couples. Um, these are middle-class families. They've got no money worries. They're living in nice homes. There's no significant event in their lives which could have led to the husband carrying out a murder like this on his wife and then killing himself. And in each case, the families, the police officers, and even you know the inquest heard that the actions of the husband were inexplicable. They couldn't be explained. And yet in each case, the husband was eventually found by the police to have killed their wives and killed themselves. It's fair to summarize the report as saying that the chances that they both were murder-suicides are extremely unlikely. It's more likely that there was a third party involved in each case. How did you feel when you first read that report? I mean, this is an area you know. This is your patch. This is where I report as a Northern correspondent. I live relatively close. I used to live in Wilmslow. Wilmslow is a really affluent area, a really nice, leafy area. Open, green space, beautiful high street, bars, restaurants. It's kind of like being in a European town or, or city. This is a place where, basically, if you've made money in Manchester or Liverpool or you've got a business in the northwest. You buy a big house in Wilmslow. It's where Man United stars live. It's where Manchester City stars live. It really is kind of the Mayfair of the North. So for these two murder-suicides to happen in a place like this at the time, it really shocked the whole community. And even to this day, when you speak to people in Wilmslow, they all remember it. They'll ne- it's something they'll never forget. Having read this incredibly alarming report, you took the story to George and Jonathan, your former colleagues at Insight. What was their reaction? I mean, me and me, George and Jonathan have worked on a lot of different stories together. You know, we've investigated blood doping by Russian athletes, investigated the SAS, war crimes in Afghanistan, trident misfiring and cover-ups by Downing Street. So we've done a lot of stories, big stories together. This was one that really caught their attention. It caught their attention because... If there were now suspicions that these brutal and remarkably similar killings were not murder-suicides, then could they be the work of a serial killer? You're left reading that report with the big question of what if. What if there is a serial killer out there that hasn't been caught? 
and how important it would be for the police to review this. I'm Jonathan Calvert. I'm the editor of the Sunday Times Insight team. And I'm George Abuthnot, and I'm the deputy editor of the Insight team. Would you mind painting a bit of a picture of the Ainsworths and what happened to them on that day? So it was a Saturday. It's quite a long time ago, that weekend just up the road, Oasis were playing big concerts because they were the new big thing of Britpop. That long ago. That long ago, yeah. It was 1996. And back in uh, Gravel Lane, Wilmslow, which is where the Ainsworths lived, Mr. Ainsworth was out mowing his lawn as usual. He really loved his lawn. He was a former gardener and tended to it whenever he could. Now, that's the last time he was seen. A neighbour popped her head over the fence and just had a quick chat with him and inquired about his wife, B. And he was slightly fretting about her because she had a bit of a virus and the doctor had come along. But it, she seemed to be getting better. Howard Ainsworth was 79. His wife, B, was 78. Nobody saw either of the couple again after that Saturday lunchtime. But sometime on Sunday morning, their bodies were found. Clearly something awful had taken place that night. And the great tension in all of this is, could Howard, who was very loving and devoted to his wife, they would go everywhere together, could he have carried out such an awful act on his wife and then taken his life? That is what the police eventually concluded, that it was a murder-suicide. And one of the key elements that they relied upon for this conclusion was that there was a suicide note. And on the suicide note, the writer who, to all intents and purposes, is Howard, although there might be questions over that, uh, says that because B is ill, she'd had a virus and the doctor had been round, then their lives were over. He said in the suicide note it was time to throttle her. Oh, God. But he didn't do that. She was hit on the head with a hammer several times and then stabbed through the head. That's such a brutal killing. Yeah, it's so brutal that it's, it's, it's hard to believe a man who loved his wife could have done such a thing. Didn't want her to suffer. Yeah. And, and, and so the odd thing about it is that the illness was nothing. I mean, the doctor had actually told them it was a virus that would be over in a few days and she didn't have any other health complaints. He was perfectly well and it didn't really make sense. It is baffling. I mean, what do we know about the couple? There is nothing in their history that would suggest that their lives would have ended this way. There is no history of psychiatric illness. There's no history of violence. She worked in the local funeral parlour round the corner, or had been until she was retired. He was a war veteran from the Second World War and had served fighting the Japanese in Burma. And then he had been a parks gardener. They had one son. Their neighbours described them as friendly. They liked to go for walks in the Lake District uh, together because they did a lot of things together because people who talk about them talk about them being quite a devoted couple. 
But one of the aspects that reinforced the police view that this was a suicide was that six years earlier, the couple had joined the Euthanasia Society because they were planning to take their own lives if and when they became unlivable. But that wasn't the stage that they were at. And neither did they take their lives in the way that the Euthanasia Society recommends. So it's a bit of a mystery. You sort of imagine with euthanasia it would be a gentle process, people taking pills or, you know, something a bit like dignitas. What they did was they followed the um, euthanasia rules up to a point. So they left the back door open. There was a do not resuscitate note at the top of the stairs, as if it's kind of all been done in the manner that the society recommends. But that doesn't match with the scene that then would be met when people opened the bedroom door. And were questions raised at the time about the police's conclusions? The idea that this was a murder-suicide? Do you know, I don't think they were, no. It was very quickly dealt with. I think the police saw it as an open-and-shut case, and they had a very, very short investigation into it. Christine Hurst, who was the coroner's officer at the time, did raise concerns uh, about it with the police and pushed them to do further fingerprinting on the weapons, but it didn't seem to have really got through to the police and they just stuck to the same conclusion. And what were her concerns? I mean, she is a woman who's used to viewing quite gory photographs. It's part of her job is to prepare reports based on the police case files, but she found these ones particularly horrific and instantly thought it was out of character for the alleged perpetrator, Howard. One of the specific details that she was worried about was that Mrs Ainsworth's nighty had been pulled up, leaving her in an undignified position. And that specifically struck Christine Hurst that that was not something that would be in any way expected from a husband who was being so devoted to her. I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear how she, Christine Hurst, the, the coroner, reacted to the actual details of the murder What did you make of them when you first read about the case? Well, there were a series of clues around the crime scene which we felt did throw into doubt the police's conclusion. The first one was there were some sedative pills on the side next to Mr Ainsworth, but when uh, the police looked into the records... The pills had not been prescribed to either of the couple. And when they checked their bodies, there was no sign of those pills having been consumed by them. So certainly when the case was later looked at, this raised questions over whether the offender may have brought them to the scene and planted them there to make it look like they might have been part of a suicide attempt. The other clue was there was a hammer left in the bathroom sink which had blood around the plug hole, suggesting the hammer had been washed. Again, it was questioned if Mr Ainsworth was going to commit suicide, why would he have bothered to clean the hammer and potentially destroy forensic evidence like that? Mr Ainsworth had a very small amount of blood on his pyjamas and it seemed inconceivable that uh, he would might have stabbed his wife and yet had so little blood then come back onto his clothes. Further questions were around the way Mr Ainsworth was lying on his bed. The possibility was raised that that might suggest that his body had been moved after his death. The coroner, Christine Hurst, 
raised her concerns over the Ainsworth case with the police. But no further investigations took place. I think she left it there until three years later when she was in the mortuary in Macclesfield. It was a Friday and the body came in of Oriel Ward, who'd also lived in Wilmslow. When she saw Oriel Ward's body, she thought, this is extraordinary because these injuries look so, so similar to the ones that I'd seen in the photographs of B. Ainsworth three years earlier. And at that point, she started to worry that there might be a connection between the two cases. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tell me about Oriel Ward. Oriel Ward and her husband, Donald, lived in a kind of big, imposing house at the other side of Wilmslow. And it was at the end of this kind of darkened lane, quite isolated in its own way. It was an affluent place. I mean, Donald Ward had been a successful industrial chemist and his wife, Oriel, had trained as a nursery teacher. Everyone who talks about them says they were a completely devoted couple. One of the last people to see them alive was a handyman who was working on their drive. I spoke to the handyman who redid their drive at a cost of thousands of pounds. 
you know, it's not the sort of thing that you really do if you if you're planning to kill yourself and your wife. Whilst they were finalising the details of the payment, the handyman watched Oriel come out the house and put a jacket on Donald because she thought he was cold. And they ended up, the three of them, chatting on the driveway. And then Donald thought, actually, no, Oriel, you're probably colder than I am, took the jacket off himself and then put it on her because he was so worried that she might be getting a bit chilly. That was the kind of couple they were, kind of sweet and uh, considerate to each other. Yeah, I mean, there's such a warmth and consideration in that tiny gesture. There is, yeah. And, and so it's very hard to reconcile that with what is said to have happened just a few days later. One of their children hadn't been able to get through to them, had contacted a neighbour. A neighbour took a friend to the house and the gate was open, which was unusual for Donald because he was very security um, conscious. And then when they went through to the back door, the back door was open. And so they went into the house and the house was seemed empty except the kitchen table had been set for breakfast. And then they went upstairs. And they went into the main bedroom, it was dark, they couldn't see, so they kind of grappled around for the light switch. And when they turned it on, they just saw an awful sight. You know, uh, we actually spoke to one of the officers, the police officers who attended the scene, And he's still disturbed by the image that he saw there. Really? So, just like the Ainsworths, it was an elderly couple lying on their bed in their pyjamas. Again, the sheets were blood-soaked. And um, Oriel Ward had quite extensive injuries, although there was a pillow partially covering her face as had been the case with the Ainsworths. Donald had died as a result of blood loss from a number of stab wounds, some of which cast some doubt in the minds of the investigators over whether he could really have killed himself. The really mysterious thing about it is the number of injuries that he has. He has quite a lot of stab wounds all over him. There were two wounds in particular, both of which would normally prove fatal. Having suffered one, would anyone have the strength to inflict the other? There's a lot of doubt cast by both the police and other experts who've now looked at it, saying, how is it possible that somebody whose A's hand was badly, badly injured by the cuts and B, he was losing blood at a huge rate... How is it possible that he had the strength to do that? And the other odd thing about that is that you would expected quite a lot of blood, and there wasn't a lot of blood. So one theory is that maybe that stabbing was inflicted after he had died. I mean, what's incredible is, from what you've painted of his character, of, of their relationship, and the sheer frenzied brutality of what happened that night... It's so incongruous and 
the method of what's being described as suicide seems so unlikely that it seems surprising that that's the conclusion the police came to. I mean, they've been happily married for 46 years. Uh, they doted on their grandchildren. Donald was known for his impeccable manners. And he was also a retired chemist. We're told that the son particularly felt that it was implausible that even if his father did want to kill his wife, he would have done it you know, using drugs rather than this extraordinarily violent method. I mean, do, do we know what made them opt for that as an explanation over any other? We have spoken to some of the police officers who are involved in the case, and it was treated initially as, as a full murder investigation, but they searched for potential other offenders, and in the end they weren't able to find any clear link. And what they tell us is that ultimately suicide just seemed to be the most plausible option, and so they just went for it, although they weren't sure either way. No, and they weren't sure. They actually got something called the National Crime Faculty to have a look, second look at it. It was a service offered to police forces when there had been a big crime and there were, there were kind of mysteries and they wanted mm. someone to have experts look across it. They found a number of things. And one of the things that bothered them about the case was that it looked as if his body had been actually moved after oh. he died. And they say in their report, you know, what's the explanation for it? Can anyone provide an explanation for it? They didn't have an answer. In the middle of all of this, Christine Hurst, the, the coroner, so she sees a second case very similar in brutality to the first with the Ainsworths. What does she do? She again raises it with the police and says, I've got serious concerns, particularly because of the similarity of the crime scenes. So what she then did is she set the files aside in what she called a special interest folder and then kept it for 17 years. Wow. And then once her successor, who was a lady called Stephanie Davies, took over when she retired, she passed her the special interest folder. Yeah, and she said she'd always wanted it to be investigated, didn't she? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. She really felt that this needed a major second look. What happened when her successor, when Stephanie Davis, arrived? I mean, did she embrace this sort of cold case investigation or was it just another one that gets filed away? She took it on in a massive way. She took the case on and examined all the police case files and the photographs and she took it to external experts and then built up this very detailed report raising major concerns that... Actually, what may have happened in these cases was that the couples had been murdered by a third party and the police had missed it. And therefore, it's possible that a serial killer could be on the loose. I mean, that's really alarming. And how have the police responded to this now? Is this something they are actually looking into? As we understand it, Stephanie Davies has passed the file to Cheshire Police only in the last few weeks. So we're now waiting to hear what the police may do with it. You said Stephanie Davis had taken a lot of this information to some other experts too to consult them. What are they saying about it? 
the expert that was called in, who's an expert in cold cases, wrote quite a detailed report. He concludes that both the Wards and the Ainsworth case were cases of double murder. Really? He finds that it's highly unlikely that these two old men would, completely out of character, carried out such frenzied attacks. And Stephanie Davis had done quite a lot of research and she'd found that there were a couple of other cases in Manchester, one not so long after the wards, which were quite similar. Do we have a sense of, I mean, what are the particular similarities between these cases and do they give us an idea of the mentality of the person who might be responsible if they are indeed murders? The report does raise key similarities between the wards and the Ainsworth cases. The first one is the location, obviously. It's such a rare event as a murder-suicide to happen two miles apart, a few years apart, is highly improbable. The second is the expressive way, and this is the way it's described, as an expressive killing on the woman in each case. There was an element of hatred, they believe, in killing the woman in both cases because of the excessive level of violence used. There are elements of what they call signature behaviour with both cases. In both cases, the woman is the focus of the hatred. There is a pillow obscuring the head of the woman, and they believe that that is because the killer doesn't want to be watched leaving the room or watched by that person. And in both cases, the woman was left in an undignified manner. It's something that stood out for the senior coroner's officer and for the US-based forensics expert who's looked at this evidence. And it's, they believe, a hallmark, potentially, of an offender who hates women, who attacks vulnerable elderly people in their homes, who's forensically aware, who knows how to misdirect the police and cover up their tracks, and has potentially got away with it for two decades. And in fact, the report even more worryingly, says that this person would not stop. If there is an offender, and it never says there is a 100% serial killer, it says that these are unlikely to be murder-suicides and they are likely to be the result of one offender. And if that person is out there and hasn't been caught then he won't stop because they've gone too far and this person is not doing it for financial gain. They're doing it for sadistic reasons. They're doing it for their own pleasure. I mean, it's interesting that they said that whoever did that wouldn't be stopped from doing it again. And obviously both of those cases are you know, a couple of decades old now. Do we have any idea if there have been any other similar cases since? So one of the things that Stephanie Davies did was she did a Freedom of Information Act request to every police force in the country asking for details of murder-suicides between 2000 and 2019. And when she narrowed down the search just to the types of injuries that have been seen in the two cases in Wilmslow, the Wards and the Ainsworths. A sort of remarkable coincidence was that they all happened to be in the northwest of England. There were three of them. Two were really close by in Greater Manchester, and one was in Cumbria. And so she's taken a closer look at those and is keen for 
those case files to also be reviewed. So, altogether, five cases have been identified as having similarities. But after all this time, after two decades, for the families of those couples to have had to spend all that time thinking their father brutally murdered their mother, I mean, it must be so bleak. Are they relieved that these cases might be looked at again? We've talked to the son of the Ainsworths. The Ward's family don't wish to engage. And then we talked to the family of the fifth case, the case in Cumbria. But they think, actually, that the dad, even though he's 92, probably did do it. Really? Yeah. It's the third one we can't find, isn't it, George, at all? They went back to Ireland. So it's quite difficult for us to kind of say what the family thinks. John Ainsworth was the Ainsworth's only child. In the immediate aftermath, John himself was investigated as a suspect, and he's still angry with the police. He believes they bungled the investigation. David Collins went to meet him. So I met John twice. We found him living in a country lane outside Wrexham in quite a ramshackle house. Hmm. I think it's fair to say hates the police with a passion. Really? Is that because he was investigated? I think, yeah, partly because he was investigated and he fell out with them. He's quite accepting, really, that his dad had done it. It's important to mention John has always denied any involvement in his parents' deaths. And yet John did want to know more. He pointed David and the team towards other similar cases that he'd seen in the local news over the years. He was living in Wilmslow after his parents died. He moved into the house and he was, he reads a lot of the local news and the regional news. He was seeing these murder-suicide cases cropping up. And if your parents die in that way, then if you read a case that is really similar, that happens yeah. close to you, then it's going to stand out in the memory. He was aware of three, actually, out of the five cases that are in the report. What what has it been like looking into these cases and just also just having to go through the details of these incredibly brutal cases? What, what has it been like personally? To think that two humans might do this to each other or one human do this to two other humans, who knows? It's quite harrowing going through it all. It's a scary thought, isn't it? It's a kind of your worst nightmare. Reading that report is like reading about the bogeyman come to life. Yeah, it's been very disturbing. And I just have unbelievable sympathy for the families that they might believe and be told that their father or brother or grandfather had done this to his wife. It's just unbelievable to imagine how upsetting that would be. And so it just makes it all the more important as Stephanie Davies points out in her report, that we absolutely make sure that we've got the truth in these cases. Otherwise, if it is wrong, then it really is an awful thing for people to believe of one of their loved ones. The Insight team approached Cheshire Constabulary for a response to the report. A spokesman confirmed they'd received it and said, the report is being reviewed. This is a piece of research which has been undertaken by the staff member independently from her role within the constabulary. As with any case that has been closed, 
When new information comes to light, it's reviewed and acted upon if appropriate. We have notified both Greater Manchester Police and Cumbria Constabulary. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the Sunday Times Insight Editor and Deputy Editor, Jonathan Calvert and George Arbuthnot, and the Sunday Times Northern Correspondent, David Collins. You can read more of their work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. And to access more of the investigations carried out by The Times, you might want to consider a digital subscription. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. The producers today were Edward Drummond and Asia Fuchs, and the executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by James Shield, music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you get a chance, please do leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and now we're also available on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.